Fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And the best way to level up both your mental and your physical fitness is by making small but powerful changes to your daily habits and routines. With this podcast, I aim to bring you a combination of short educational solo casts and slightly longer conversations I've had with a wide variety of fascinating people. The goal? To help you develop a lifestyle which supports your mental and physical fitness and improves your overall quality of life. My name is Jay Unwin. Welcome to FitBody FitMind. Welcome back to Fit Body, Fit Mind. And today I have with me Mel Wakeman from Wakeman Nutrition and the creator of the Anti-Diet System. How are you doing today, Mel? I'm good, thanks, Jay. I'm feeling good. Yeah, good. ready for this. So the Anti-Diet System, I think we'll start with this. Nice big question. What the hell is it? What is that all about? <laughs> so the Anti-Diet System ref- reflects my approach, which is anti-diets now i am i am not against or averse to people doing diets this is not what it's about i am against the diet industry i'm standing up against the diet industry who will happily press all our buttons and make us feel vulnerable and needy um, and then take all of our money in the process and i think there's a, a real sense of grasping and people feeling trapped within the diet culture and diet mentality. And my job is really to help people get out of that and escape that. So my, my I guess I'd say my what my sort of my call in life is to is to help women particularly heal their relationship with food and their own body. Yeah. No, I think well I think it's a it's a very valuable and worthwhile mission to be on absolutely I mean it's something that having been in the fitness industry for a number of years now and I've I've been guilty of it when I was first in the fitness industry and I looked around and I thought right this is how we this is how other people more experienced than me are marketing their businesses and their personal training and I figured that because these people were more experienced than me and they knew what they were doing and I got sucked into doing the same thing and it is like in hindsight it's it's quite a toxic thing and I, I think that it's not it's not just the diet industry it's industries in general marketing is obviously designed to press our buttons like you said it's designed to make us feel like oh if we just have that or if we just do this then we will be happy and it's trying to sell us that that false happiness isn't it yeah yeah it's i mean it's it's, it's that false false reality it's the fake reality what yeah. they're promising and offering um, partly, you know, may well be snake oil and pseudoscience, but the other side of it is, you know, they're, they're promising, you know, happiness and and joy in life and to get out there. And I think what a lot of that, what the, a lot of their approach misses is actually our our relationship with how we feel, how we see our own body. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, just that quick fix. Do this, do that. Here's the magic ingredient. And hey, you'll be youthful and happy forever after. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that sums it up really, doesn't it? And I think that something I've experienced certainly over the years of working with clients is that if you don't address that issue uh, to start with in, in terms of the kind of the emotional side of things and how you feel about yourself how you feel about your body how you feel about your relationship with food and all of that stuff then when you reach whatever goal it is that you have set for example it's it could be a weight loss goal like it is for a lot of people um they're no they're no happier um and it seems like that is far more common than reaching a goal and actually being happier because what they've what they, they're just as miserable but just weigh a little bit less yeah 
Yeah, and I I think about sort of my own personal journey with, you know, my body and food. Yeah. And I, I often talk to, you know, my, my it will come up with my clients um, pretty much every time in terms of, okay, you know, here, here's this, you know, happy memory of wanting to go back to a certain size or a certain sure. clothes size. But but let's be honest, were you were you really happy in that moment when you were, you know, the desired or the, the goal weight? And the reality is often... Well, no, I wasn't because it worked, I worked my butt off to get there, which I didn't enjoy. And then I couldn't stay there. And actually, no, it didn't address anything to do with my body image. I think as well, something that you said then um, just made me think about association. I mean, something that I talk about a lot in terms of, uh, you know, people's association with food, people's association with um, with physical activity and the kind of condi- conditioning that has happened to us either deliberately or completely accidentally over the years. And one of the one of the fascinating things I find about people's relationships with food is their association with certain types of food with good times, right? And this is how something like the McDonald's Happy Meal is one of the greatest marketing tools ever. They don't make a huge amount of money on a Happy Meal. I'm sure there is a a reasonable profit margin in there. But what they're doing is they are starting to build an association in people between that particular food, that particular brand and happiness, right? The whole thing is is geared around, it's why they've got a clown as the the mascot. It's why everything's like a certain colour scheme. And it's why it's called a Happy Meal. It's so that when you're an adult and you feel miserable, you turn to the food which you have associated with happiness. And I wonder if the same thing happens when for example people look back at when they were younger and they think I was happy when I was a size whatever and like you said often that isn't even the case you're looking back with rose-tinted specs but Mm. if you were happy back then and you associate it with the size you were those two things aren't necessarily linked. You might have been happy for all kinds of reasons. You might have been happy because you had less responsibilities because you were in your late teens or your early 20s, you're at university or whatever it happens to be, and you were having a great time. But it wasn't because you were that size. You just happened to link those two things together because it seems obvious in your memories. Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, I really like that. That's a great point. You can have that one. Oh, thanks very much. (laughs) (laughs) I I think, you know... We're so conditioned over the years. Now, if you think I've been exposed to, you know, messages around diet culture that it's, you know, it's better to be thin. You'll yeah. be healthier if you're thin. Thinness brings you happiness. We internalise all of these messages because they're like repeated, like a, a record that's stuck, you know, that goes round and round yeah. again. And we kind of sort of, I think we warp those messages and then create them into something else, but something else that suits us in terms of, well, yes, it is actually more acceptable to be thin in our society. So actually we bring that acceptable in and mistake that acceptance for happiness. Yeah, or yeah. contentedness or inner peace, you know? Yeah, because we're looking for these things externally, aren't we, a lot of the time? And I think that that's something, I mean, we're probably going to say the word conditioning more than we say any other word during this conversation, I can imagine. But it is that conditioning where we've we've almost been taught um, over and over again to look for solutions to our problems externally. Now, there's for, for anyone listening to this, um, obviously we've chatted about stuff in the past about this. We we see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. We don't see eye to eye on everything um, because the world would be a very boring place otherwise, wouldn't it? Now we talk about we talk about um, health and weight, for example. 
I there there are categorically things which will improve in terms of your health between uh, carrying a lot of excess body fat and not carrying a lot of excess body fat. Okay, so there's 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 stuff which is borne out by by science and by research saying that too much body fat that you are carrying around with you will be a strain on the system. However, however, there are so many other parts to health that seem to be brushed under the carpet or at least just not put into the spotlight in the same way weight is. And so where where is I think that yes the relationship with food and things like that needs needs to be improved. I think people need to have a much more positive enjoyment of food. Um and yet because of this obsession with weight that that seems to be you open any magazine about he- men's health magazine or women's health magazine and 90% of the stuff in it is about weight that is skewed so drastically in favor of one particular aspect of health rather than a a, a much more comprehensive image of what health means i mean if you look at the look at the cover models on men's health they're not necessarily healthy and yet because it's got the word health at the top, people start making that association again where they go, oh, six-pack, healthy. Yeah. And it's like, it just doesn't... It, 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 there's so much more to it than that. But there's, you know, this, this is marketing at its best, isn't it? You know, yeah. I, I would go and buy a magazine if Tom Hardy was on the front, okay? Wouldn't we so, all, though? So it's like, they, they know what appeals, all yeah. right? But where, where I'm coming from now is... Well, actually, let, let's look at, let's broaden the visual diet. Yes. Because what we see, you know, whether it's in magazines, what we see on the TV or on billboard posters, it's just so narrow-minded in terms of yeah. what, you know, what a healthy or a, what a normal body looks like. So yeah. I'm very much into promoting a body normative approach. Yes. But that means yep. body normative is encompassing all shapes and sizes of bodies that... Yep actually do exist in our world in reality oh, and the yeah. interesting thing is when when we are when we broaden our visual diet and we make a concerted effort to yep. go out and go okay i'm not going to f- always follow you know fitzbro and yeah. <laughs> you know what, whatever the, the main hashtags are around following thin white healthy inverted commas yeah. or quote unquote looks like it's to go okay i'm going to go and follow i'm going to go and follow fat folk Yep. I'm going to go and follow men and women in bigger bodies. Yep. I'm going to follow men and women who have different disabilities, for example, yep. who are different skin colours. And actually, when you so what, the really interesting thing is what science shows, when you start to broaden your visual diet and you see more people, let's say, in bigger bodies, in fatter bodies, you become more accepting of those bigger bodies. Yeah. And that, therefore, has a positive impact on how you see yourself. Yeah. And the... Something which a lot of people in the fitness industry, in my experience, seem to miss is that if people are happier in themselves and people are more confident and and accepting of themselves, then they're much more likely to make positive changes to their lifestyle, which will lead to better health. They're more likely to be more physically active if they're not so fucking self-conscious. And it's just like, 
th- th- this this idea of how shaming people can motivate them to to change it's like it's wrong for so many reasons not least the fact that if someone feels rubbish about themselves that's going to perpetuate behaviors which aren't actually serving them Absolutely. anyway Yes. And it's I see it so much and it's so frustrating and it's one of the reasons why I got absolutely sick of the fitness industry and 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 left for 6 months before getting dragged back into it because actually I do really love the fitness industry but the I I it's the way it goes about it's the way the majority of people go about it because so many people who work as personal trainers or fitness coaches and stuff like that have never had to struggle with those things. No. No, they're privileged. I mean I I have what is called thin privilege. You know, I'm, I am very open-minded. I have huge insight into what it's like to live in a bigger body. And I know a lot about fat shame and fat phobia, but ultimately I have not been exposed to the challenges that people in big bodies are exposed to living in our society today. Yeah. So I don't, I don't get, you know, I don't, I haven't lived that, you know? And I think that the shame and the discrimination and the stigmatism that people are exposed to because they they have a bigger body shape is absolutely appalling yeah. but i i haven't personally experienced that the biggest size i ever was was probably a 14 to 16 and i yeah. 16 is the average size for women in the uk yeah yeah i think that i think that i, I to be honest i the the discussion around this is far, far greater than it ever has been before. So I I do yeah. think that the industry is moving in a positive direction. I think that there is some kickback to it from the old school kind of stalwarts of um, um, kind of bodybuilding as a fitness aspiration, which is, is, is great for some people, but for everyday people, it's just not, it's, it's, unrealistic and it's uh, it's not necessarily the ideal to to hold as your as your goal but because that was what it always was especially like throughout the 80s and the 90s yeah. um i think so on the male side obviously you've got the bodybuilding on the female side it would be the aerobics and the models and stuff like that um but i think that now there is so much more discussion around it and yes you've got those people who who kick back and just say no you're glorifying obesity it's a it's a disease it's a health problem people are ruining their bodies and they're increasing their risk of this that and the other and it's just like i think the key part to take out of that mate is it's you said their bodies right it's not your fucking body is it mate yeah. you should yeah. probably pipe down yeah. <laughs> and it's it's under the guise of caring and they're like, but I just care about these people's health. And it's like, if you cared about these people's health, genuinely, you would understand that feeling good about their bodies is the absolute foundation that any other habits are going to be built on. Yeah. And it's that, that concern trolling, it's rife. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. It's absolutely rife. And it's, you know, people giving, as, as they often do associated with that, giving unsolicited advice. Oh, yeah. you just need to do this. You just need to do that. And it sounds so incredibly easy in terms of all you need to do to lose weight is to eat a little bit less and, yeah. and move your body a little bit more. But it's not always that bloody simple, is it? And it puts all that onus on the individual to think, well, their body's broken. They've got to fix it. And actually, that maybe they don't need to fix it. Yeah, and I think that I think that something a, a mistake 
or misunderstanding, I guess, that a lot of people make in a lot of areas, not just not just health and well-being and fitness and stuff like that, um, is confusing and conflating the terms easy and simple. So mm. when you look at the, I guess, the, the simplicity of something, even if something is simple, it doesn't mean, and I'm not saying it is, but I'm just saying if it was, it doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. Sometimes very simple things can be hard. Like if you want to run a marathon, running a marathon is pretty simple, right? You start running, you run for 26.2 miles, and then you stop running, right? It's not complicated, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Right. And it's the same with it's the same with making changes in your life. So it's very, very easy for someone to say, oh, this is all you have to do. And and misunderstand that just because it's simple doesn't mean that someone can just snap their fingers and, and, and act on that. Yeah. But again, the, you know, whoever's commenting on that has a very narrow minded view about what health looks like and health for me is not a body shape or a body size no, no. but this is what most of the sort of assumption is in society and I think you know, actually what people don't really you know through no ignorance of you know their own doing as it were but what people don't really understand is that genetics has a huge part to play in this and so not in terms of just our body shape and size but also our eating habits and our eating behaviors yeah and the, the sort of assumption is, well, yeah, you know, if you live in a bigger body, this is where the fat phobia and the discrimination and judgment comes from. It's, oh, you must be greedy. You must sit on the sofa all the time and you're just bloody lazy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, you know, I, I know from my professional experience, when I sit and work with people that have chronic illnesses and chronic diseases and actually, you know, whether they're physical challenges or emotional challenges or actually this is just who they are. This is down to their genes. Yeah. We, there's nothing we can do to forcibly change their body weight in the long term. Right. It's morally wrong for me to go to somebody, yeah, I'll help you lose, you know, two stone. I'll help you get down to that dress size because I actually don't know if that's their weight set point, if they'll be able to sustain that. Okay. Because I could I could help them. Absolutely. I could go, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll help you lose the three inches off your waist. I'll help you lose two stone. Um, and we'll get there. Come hella high water, we get there. That's that's relatively simple. It's that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Whether they'll stay there isn't just down to willpower and motivation. Because if their genes say their weight set point is actually a stone heavier than the two stone that they lost, then they're automatically going to bounce back to that. Okay. So when you talk about weight set point, because this is something which uh, this is this is probably a point where we would disagree. When you talk about weight set point, so you're saying that there's there's certain, so everyone has a, a particular weight where they would kind of automatically sit at. Is that right? Yes, it changes through life, but there will be a, gen- a genetic predetermination of what their their weight set point will be. Okay, and how would you know whether your what what your weight set point was, or whether it was because um, it, because of lifestyle factors? How would you know that? When you're when if you're if you're feeling you know well within yourself, you're eating well, and your weight maintenance is effortless. Okay. Then that's going to be pretty much that's going to be around your weight set point. The, the, the difficulty with this, of course, is there are so many different factors. Yes. So yeah, you know, in terms of the things that make our weight set point will be age. Our, so age, typically our weight set point will increase as we get older. 
it's also linked into past dieting history. So for serial dieters, what we know with weight cycling and weight yo-yoing is that when you go on an intentional weight loss program, the outcome typically is weight gain, not weight loss. Over the long over term. A lo- over yeah. a longer period of time. So typically 97% of people will regain the weight that they've lost within one to five years. Okay. So uh, you mentioned about like age being one of the determining factors. Do, would some people, their, their um, weight set point, would that decrease as they get older as well? Is that possible? It's absolutely possible. It will depend on them, their metabolism, you know, how active they are. If we're thinking about going into... God, the days that I dream of going into retirement, I'd be like 85. <laughs> but th- no, this idea, we, well, we have this kind of delusional idea that when we retire, we'll just sit around and watch TV all day, don't we? But yeah, the yeah. idea of, of relaxing, you know, we'll lose muscle at, at different rates. So there'll be different levels of muscle atrophy. Um, and, and particularly over the age of 40, that increases at a faster rate. But depending on their genetics, it may mean that actually they increase in um, peripheral fat de- deposition they may may increase um central fat deposition it's going to be hugely variable we can't put everyone in the same bag no absolutely everyone i mean (laughs) it's again it's a cliche isn't it like saying everyone everybody is different um the reason it's a cliche is because it's true i mean that's the whole point of genetic variation is for uh kind of to, to see this adaptation and see um i mean if you look over a, a, a long term, and when I say long term, I don't mean in terms of our lifespans, but if you look over the millennia and the hundreds of millennia and thousands of millennia that we've evolved, the idea of genetic variation is to is to improve natural selection, adaptation to environment, evolution and all of that stuff. And so there is a, a very, very clear biological reason why we are all so different. And yeah. we, we're, we're programmed by so many different genes and those genes can be expressed differently based on things that we're exposed to and things that which happen to us and things which we do in our lifestyle. So we can, yes. we can to a degree, control some of our gene expression. And when you talk about muscle atrophy, for example, there's, it's, it's so important. This is one of the things which I, I, I kind of spout off about all the time, whether it's to do with health and fitness or whether it's to do with business or relationships or dealing with chaos and the the kind of stuff that's happened to us this year and everything is to let go of things you can't control except there is a lot of stuff that you can't control and focus on the things you can control and to to apply that to muscle atrophy for example as you get older you're more likely to lose muscle mass it becomes more difficult to build muscle mass once like you said you're past kind of the age of 40 however there are parts to that because what I see is like I, I see so many people on one or the other side of this seesaw where they go either I can't control anything so there's no point in me doing anything or on the other side going I I can I can control everything and therefore everything that isn't going my way is my fault and I feel shit about it whereas in reality it's a bit of both and yeah. you can go right my like so for example I'm about five foot eleven I sit at around my my weight set point, I guess, if we were going to use your term, is about 11 stone. I, without any, um, I guess, chemical help, I am not going to end up being 16 stone of pure muscle, whereas other people will be built like that. Yeah. My brother-in-law is six foot seven 
and and it, and he's built like the proverbial, right? He's he's an absolute tank, and there's no way that my build take the height thing out of it, but that my build would ever be similar to that because of the genetic side of things. So I've got to accept that. But there are things that I, 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 I can control in terms of my physical activity and what I eat and stuff like that. So it's it's like it's being able to balance that and not skew one side to the other, which is obviously what marketing tries to get us to do is to kind of is to go for the extremes. Whereas as with anything, the truth is always somewhere in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. But if going, going back to the gene side of things, yeah. like you say, you know, we've we've evolved as human beings and we, we've carried beneficial gene traits to to today that you know give us a great chance of survival ultimately now there'll be some people who you know let's say going back 1500 years living on the serengeti okay gonna go and catch their their antelope for dinner yeah now because food was fairly sparse it helped if people if we learned to overeat so that yeah so that you know when we've got a big antelope we we stuff our faces we overeat and that means that's going to keep us going until we catch the next one five days later or something yeah because you don't know when the next one's going to be yeah so we have a genetic ability to overeat some the the people that were also more likely to survive were those that had a better or more efficient fat metabolism whereby they laid fat down more readily so again greater fat stores meant that they were more likely to survive yeah so there's huge variation in our appetite our food preferences our fat deposition patterns and so on across the human race because these are traits that we've carried forward so the idea sometimes to think controlling what we eat is easier said than done because a lot of this is potentially biological yeah whereby these are prime drivers coming literally from our primal brain going, you need high calorie, you need high energy food. So if you're feeling stressed and emotional, go for the high energy food. Going back, you know, 1500 years ago, be like, oh, go and get some berries, go and raid a bee's nest to get some honey. That'll be quick and easy, quick energy boost. Now you just like, open up my jaw and just get out of Twix. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Life has changed. Like physiologically, and this is something which... the, the thing is, this comes up so much, right? And this comes up whether I'm recording a podcast, I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm talking to a client or working on the book that I've been working on. The 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 evolution versus modern environment thing mm. is just such a, uh, a kind of dissonance, really, because we've evolved in an environment which is completely different to the environment we find ourselves in. Yeah. And so where before it's like overeat because you don't know when your next meal is going to be. And now it's like overeat but your next meal's in another two hours and you just do it every single time and you are programmed to do it. And one of the things that I try and get people to understand is that that is because it's such a hardwired evolutionary response, we cannot ignore that and try and fight it with our um, kind of modern brain we can't use our prefrontal cortex to fight the primal brain mm-hmm. in terms of one's trying to do this one's trying to do the other so what we need to do is understand it work with it surround ourselves with the, with an environment which serves us in terms of keeping us well and keeping us healthy and you know because the other thing is yes we were programmed to 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 overeat when the when the opportunity arose but we're also we were we had to go out and physically move to get that yeah. stuff. Whereas now, like you said, you can open your drawer and there's a Twix. And the the um, we're sitting down for so much time. And so not only are we able to overeat, but also another evolutionary response is 
is conservation of energy because mm. in the same way as we need to overeat to lay down fat stores so that we can survive for the next five days until our next big meal we also need to conserve our energy so unless we were hunting fighting or reproducing we're going to be sat around doing nothing and that's a that that, that laziness is a is a survival mechanism but now because we don't even have to do the stuff that we used to have to do and we are physically incredible creatures the stuff that we can do but now we're sat down for 12 hours a day and sleeping for eight hours a day and the rest of the time is probably walking to and from the bathroom or cooking your dinner it's like the 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 balance of those scales is so out of whack compared to where we evolved yeah so so this is where the idea of i need to control what my what I eat comes from because it's like that we're surrounded by, by food, we're prompted, we're primed, we're triggered all the time. You know, we we have food now that will happily sit in our cupboards for weeks and months on end. It's there, isn't it? It's like, yeah. do the do the biscuits call you, Jay? Do they kind of go? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit savoury. I'm a bit savoury. So the I'm, yeah, <laughs> it's the crisps and things like that. If they're in the cupboard, they are going to get absolutely destroyed. Yeah, so they, we know, we know this food is there yeah. and we remember, we go, oh yeah, remember that nice salty crunchiness yeah. that made me feel good. It went really well with the beer. Yeah. And only that moment you're going to go, Have you well, been course- watching me, Mel? <laughs> <laughs> so of course your body's going to go, oh, clock that. Yeah, let's get another dopamine hit. Let's get some more yeah. serotonin, guys. Let's go and get some more because that's the, you know, why wouldn't you want more of that, of yeah. that feel good factor? So it is really hard. Yeah. And so it's 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 a minefield, really, isn't it, at best? Yeah. Um, and and so so I guess what you're trying to do is to unpick some of these particular uh, programmings that we've had, not the evolutionary ones. They're there to stay. But you're trying to p- unpick uh, or work with clients to unpick those things which have been laid down over the years and decades that they've been absorbing the marketing stuff and then also beliefs from their parents and their peers and society as a whole and help them see a different way of approaching this yeah so most of my work in terms of probably three quarters of it is around our sort of our mindset around food and eating yeah so yeah these messages these beliefs that we have curated as it were in our head it's about letting go of those ones that don't serve you yeah. The ones that are actually not based on any fact. Yeah. So, the, yeah, the warped messages and the things that we've been told by Aunt Jane and Karen down the road. Yeah. Those are not based on anything. So it's how we can, yeah, stop fighting our body and learn to work with it by letting go of those beliefs around the fact that, you know, sugar isn't going to kill you. Carbohydrates yeah. are not the worst things in the world. That you don't have to live on protein for the rest of your life. Yeah. Also, that you don't actually have to be a size, whatever it is, in order to be happy and healthy. So a lot of it is around tapping into your own intuition. So this idea of not messing around with your biology, but using these pre-existing systems and networks that we have in our body so particularly around how we understand our emotions our hunger and fullness cues for example it's how do we embrace those regulatory mechanisms so that we can eat more appropriately for our body's needs so we can 
more inquis- inquisitively inquire, as it were. We can self-inquire and go, am I really hungry? Do I, Jay, do you want the beer and the crisps right now? And you're going to go... No, I really do want the beer and the crisps right now. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's true. It's like playing the detective, isn't it? And it's, It is. There there's... are so many cues that come from your bodies. Yeah. No, in terms of signals, because your body is brilliant at self-regulating your appetite. It's designed to keep you alive. It will take you to food. It will, if you allow it, it will self-select a wide variety of foods. Yep. You may well want the crisps and the beer and maybe the biscuits, but you'll also want the salad and the vegetables yeah, yeah, yeah. if you allow that. Yeah. So it's working with your body so that you can find that happy medium where you're eating for nutrition and you're eating for fuel, but you're also eating for taste and for fun, for yeah. pleasure. Yeah. So you get a nice balance of all of those things. Well, that's part of health, isn't it? Is having yeah. having enjoyment. <laughs> you know, if you're eating, this is why the kind of food as fuel, uh, I guess, school of thought always grated on me because there's a certain small proportion of society who would quite happily take a tablet which would have everything they need in it Mm. um and i imagine that probably some days i would even do that and i would go some days i just really can't be bothered um those days are probably once or twice a year if that um but there are people who would go i just need the nutrients that will keep me well but for the most for, for the vast majority of society food is a spiritual social connection to to yeah. other people and to yeah. to the world around them and to ignore that is very detrimental to our overall well-being and i think that this is why when people start moving away from uh, kind of pre-made convenience foods and stuff like that which i totally understand why people have have gone that way because life is very busy uh, and, and it's confusing what you are and aren't supposed to eat and all of this stuff right but once once you kind of start cultivating an interest in preparing your own food and it doesn't have to be three hours slaving over an absolute masterpiece it could be knocking up a quick stir fry or something like that but once you start cooking and preparing stuff yourself there's a huge amount of satisfaction from from that and Mm. you start connecting with yourself and sharing food with other people it's why there's phrases like breaking bread it's because food is an 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 imperative part of our social interactions with other people yeah Yeah. it's you know, our meal times are so much more than the food itself. Yeah. And that, that, there, of course, there are challenges now if people are isolating and they're and they're on their own. You know, yes. there's there is there is something potentially missing there in yep. terms of being able to share that experience or have conversation or use that food to bond in some way. But I think there's so much of the time we're we're again pre-programmed to think, oh, there's something wrong focus on the food we need to i need to fix my diet i need to be doing this with my diet and actually it could actually be well actually i need to be more sociable i need to reach out and be in contact with more people yeah i need to you know calm my nervous system down and slow down in life you know stop running around like a crazy woman or a headless chicken i saw a great post um a little while back on instagram um from Jordan Syatt, who I think I've pointed you in the direction of Mm. before, who's a really interesting guy. And in fact, when this podcast goes, I interviewed him recently. I was very, very lucky to have him on. And in fact, when this episode goes out, it will probably be after that. So if if you're listening to this and you haven't heard the interview with Jordan Syatt, go back and listen to that one because that's really good as well. Um, But he put up a post about what's the healthier option between picking between a 
um, a chicken breast and a donut. So it's like both about the same amount of calories, you know, two to 300 calories, um, which is which is the healthy choice. And the, the, the concept was, it depends on the person and on the scenario. So yeah. for some people, um, picking the chicken breast will be a healthier option uh, because, you know, for whatever path and the journey they're on. Um, and for someone else, it might be who who perhaps has had a really unhealthy relationship with healthy food in the sense of they they disallowed themselves any kind of treats uh, or any kind of food which they deemed as being unhealthy and they're trying to come away from that disordered view of eating mm-hmm. that actually eating the donut would be the healthiest thing to do in this case because it's it's allowing them that a bit more freedom um and just this idea that, that, that there's so much more nuance to go in well it's obviously the chicken breast isn't it and it's yeah. just like it's it, it depends because yeah. there is that enjoyment and then there is that social and there is that, that that kind of emotional connection that you need to cater for for one well no pun intended yeah but i think no a lot of the time i will just say do you want the donut do you feel yeah. like the donut eat the goddamn donut yeah because as personally as someone who has restricted said foods put them on a pedestal yeah. not allowed them to pass my lips because you know a lifetime on the hips and all that when you then have that debate with yourself in terms of, oh God, I want the donut, but I shouldn't have it. I'll have the chicken yeah. breast. And then you actually end up having the donut and then you spend the next two days beating yourself up about said donut yep. because you shouldn't have had it and now it's ruined everything. Yeah. And what that does is it raises your cortisol levels. Yep. And so that, that all-consuming sort of thought processes around what you're eating stresses your body out yeah and that causes all sorts of complications it has inflammation well, in the body upsets your gastric digestive system <laughs> chronic stress yeah. is chronic stress is the is one of the absolute hands down worst things to put your body through and the 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 goal of living a kind of long healthy well enjoyable life is um like one of the biggest parts of that is managing that chronic stress mm. and and from from a from a physical health perspective from a mental health perspective and you're talking about things like reducing inflammation and so many people are looking at oh these kind of foods cause inflammation these kind of foods are good for reducing inflammation and it's just like do you know what's really bad for inflammation worrying about what the fuck you're eating yes totally <laughs> yeah stop overthinking it yeah we, we no we're, we're chill micro- the fuck out if you're listening Thank to you. this, chill out. Chill out, yeah. We don't need to micro-analyse everything. No. We really don't. And you don't know what's in everything anyway. So when people... And I've, I mean, I've been I've been through this the same way you have. I've had you... Sh- it's that word, should and shouldn't. You, should, you shouldn't have the donut or whatever it is. And I've been through the restrictive stuff. I've been sat in, a, in my car outside a kid's birthday party that I'd taken my daughter to eating out of a Tupperware tub because I didn't want to eat the party food because yeah. I, it wasn't part of my plan. And looking back on that, I'm cringing as I say it because I just think, wow, that is not a healthy relationship with food whatsoever. Mm. And and so, but, but the, I've, I've been through it because I was surrounded by it in the fitness industry and I saw everyone else doing it and thought that's the way you have to behave uh, you know chicken and broccoli and brown rice and Tuna seven rice. times a day and it's just like oh my god and when I and this is the this is the real kind of take home point for me is as soon as I stopped thinking in terms of you can't have this stuff I started eating better yeah take the pressure off yeah absolutely and you say about self-regulating now 
I can eat, if I wanted to eat crisps every day and drink beer every day, I could. And because I can, I don't. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. it's I'm not thinking about it all the time because if I want a beer I'll have a beer if I want a and it's very different when there's obviously there's huge amounts of emotional baggage around it there's people who've got addictions to things so obviously with alcohol and things like that it's a completely different ball game but with with something like with something like food where there can be psychological addictions but not physical addictions mm-hmm. of course there can be there can be a, a lot of kind of uh, uh, yeah baggage and tripwires around that as well but it's not a physical addiction no matter how many times someone tells you that sugar is physically addictive just run because Thank they you. are they are yeah. so so wrong, wrong. <laughs> but with with that like as soon as i stopped as soon as i stopped warring with myself and as soon as certain things stopped being out of bounds i stopped wanting those things as much yeah but that's a big step to take though isn't it Jay? oh it was very I, gradual it was very yeah, gradual because yeah. the, the idea of thinking you know because I, I i look i focus on as part of i sorry i teach intuitive eating so part of it is giving yourself unconditional permission to eat so the thought of that is like holy crap well then i'm just gonna i'm just gonna continually eat whatever food it is and i'm just gonna end up being you know the size of a house that your mind literally panics and runs away with you and it's like start catastrophizing what's going to happen yeah. and actually this it's off it's sometimes a challenge that i give my clients in terms of okay we'll fill your house with whatever food it is and yeah. i bet you i bet you in time you'll stop wanting it and it ha- that it works it absolutely works it's just scary it is scary it is scary and i think that i think that when it comes back to control we're talking about control and people are under the illusion that they are in a lot you know complete control of their lives and we're, we're sold this ideal of if you um if you work hard enough you can have anything you want and here's your mo- here's a motivational uh, little line for you it's bullshit isn't it like <laughs> you can't you no know oh, yeah. yeah absolutely <laughs> and this is the thing is that there's so much outside our control the universe is absolutely chaotic now i'm i'm a big fan of um of discomfort i'm a big fan of finding challenges and 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 working hard and all of the rest of it i don't think that we should take the kind of nihilistic view that because so much is outside of our control what's the point i don't take that view of it at all i if if anything i find it quite empowering that a lot of stuff is outside our control but because Mm. we are we're told oh you know work hard and you can achieve anything we have this illusion of control and the when people realize that things are going to happen as a result of chance and as a result of other people's decisions which affect you because that you know other people choosing to do things is going to affect you and that's not your fault chance is going to affect you and that's not your fault then we retreat into things that we know we can control and we become very fastidious my new favorite word fastidious oh like it that sounds word. like something my mum would say it's a good word it's a good <laughs> word so it's attention to detail and we become fastidious about certain things it could be about the order that we keep our house in it could be so, so like cleaning and tidying and stuff like that it could be um our business and keeping our like do like getting really stuck into the details of our business and the stuff stuff that we can control there or it could be what we eat and we get absolutely fixated on the details of what we eat because it is escapism from having to deal with the fact that there's stuff outside your control totally oh it's a great eating and food is a great distraction yeah 
aside from it being perceived to be something simple that we can do yeah. in terms of I'm really stressed and overwhelmed and I'm feeling, you know, really low in myself and unhealthy, the easiest thing will be to go and I'll get some more fruit and veg now, I'll stop eating all the crap because I don't want to sit in that discomfort and actually think about what it is that's really unsettling me at this time yeah. and that's why am I not sleeping. I'm, this is why we get on because I'm totally with you in terms of sitting the shit for a bit. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's unpleasant, but there are there are the clues, there are yeah. the, the the answers to your questions. It's not about controlling what it is that you put into your body and how much and when you do it. Yeah, yeah, I think that like with so many things, it does come back to um, processing how we feel and and going going through kind of our emotional spectrum which we're rather than trying to always stay in those positive emotions there's another great episode which i don't know whether you've whether you've listened to yet but if you go back and find my my conversation i had with josh Connolly, i think you'd really enjoy that because he's he's got some uh, really interesting takes on that mm-hmm. and the one with nick elston as well because we talk a lot about emotional fitness and resilience and stuff like that and so many people are scared of feeling angry or sad or frustrated because we're told to stay positive and we're and it's this concept of toxic positivity if you like which is almost the head in the sand version of positivity rather than dealing with your shit you stick your head in the sand and go nothing bad's happening everything's great i'm happy i'm positive and it, it comes from this idea that happiness is is the goal but the misunderstanding that the happiness that people think is the goal is joyful uh, contented ecstatic kind of happiness all the time but that's not that's not realistic right no, it's not. no you can't you're not going to be happy all the time and if you were you're a psychopath sorry to break <laughs> that to you yeah I, th- I think this it's a, it's a I think we're gonna we could go down a rabbit hole here mate like to be honest I think we could I was go just down thinking a- <laughs> that feelings and emotions and yeah. all, all that malarkey but it's it's, it's fascinating stuff isn't it I'm, yeah no this is where to go, I think I've just remembered now going right back you know 75 percent of the work they do is around our mindset and that's all around emotions of, yeah. of eating and it's only until you kind of you really come to terms with thinking about accepting who you are yes and have a greater knowing of who you are and how your body works then you're going to be in position to be more open-minded about well okay let's make let's focus on the nutrition i call it gentle nutrition because it's not the sort of fastidious fastidious good word (laughs) i'm going to use that so much more today (laughs) it's not the rules the plan it's got to be like this it's having that a skill to be in touch with your body yeah but then being able to put your nutrition in in a flexible way yeah that, that, that therefore allows you to meet all of your body's needs yeah you know it was interesting when you were saying about um uh, about the, the kind of set was it was it weight set weight point what was it that you weight, said yeah it's just a weight set point weight it's set a window point. really yeah. but yeah 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 of course it's always going to be a range isn't it of, yeah. of, of, of kind of whatever like a, a few pounds either way or whatever but the um the, the reason that that's interesting to me is how you how you described it really despite the fact that it didn't at first there was a point where I was I was pushing back to that a little bit as you were explaining it but when you then explained how to know whether you're at that point and the the fact it was do you feel well in yourself and are you eating kind of like it's basically comfort but physically and emotionally so mm. and when I say comfort I mean like as in feeling good and having energy and not feeling tired all the time I don't mean comfort as in 
avoiding challenge but i mean like you know it, it just feels like your body's working well Contenting, and all the rest of it yeah. yeah and and that is 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 fascinating to me because it, it really is about like you said connection and we always say things like listen to your body and again it's a cliche that we so many cliches but listening to your body is something that we've become very poor at as a yeah. species because we are so distracted by external stuff whether it's our work our relationships uh, how many likes we got on our last instagram post and we're so distracted by all this stuff that's going on externally that listening to ourselves we don't ever just sit and kind of go hmm how am i feeling nobody does that because it's petrifying if you can do it for 20 30 seconds at a time then that's a really good starting point where you just sit and just go right i'm gonna put my phone down i'm not gonna have the tv on i'm just gonna think right how am i feeling right now physically emotionally what's going on and then when that starts getting a bit too much go right now i'm gonna come back out of this i'm gonna do whatever crack on with whatever it was that i was doing as you get better it's a skill like you said you described it as a skill it's mm -hmm. a skill that can be learned and it's a skill that can be practiced and developed it's not something that you either have or you don't have and the more you do it the more in tune you will become with what's going on internally in your body and in your mind and the more you'll be able to the more comfortable you'll feel with processing those things that are going on and understanding what you need in response to those signals definitely and i think yeah, often when we we'll go, how are you feeling? We'll immediately think about what am I thinking? Yeah. You know, and sometimes we don't have the vocabulary. We can't articulate how it is that we're feeling, how it is that we're feeling, because we've never sat and done that before. So there's a huge sense of, oh, I've got no idea what my body's trying to tell me. Yeah. So often I'll say, like you say, physical feelings. What, what, what sensations are you feeling in your body might be more tangible or a little bit easier. So if you're feeling, you know, tightness in your neck or your shoulders, or there's like heat in your chest, or if kind of doing like a little mini body scan can give you an idea about, oh God, actually I'm feeling quite tense. Yeah, yeah. I am feeling quite tense. I think my mind's kind of racing. So it's just, it's taking that time to pause, but using different modes to kind of check in with your body and see what it's trying to tell you. Because it will be, you know, there are very nuanced little, little dim flashing warning lights, but if we leave them, they'll get brighter and louder until, until we conk out. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if you, if your car was making funny noises or a warning light came on, most people would get that checked out straight away. Most people would 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 go to an expert and say, this isn't right. Um, there are some people who wouldn't, and I've been guilty of that in the past, and it doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. Your car will end up with some kind of chronic lifestyle disease if you do not <laughs> address these warning lights and funny noises. And, and so we need to kind of... I mean, obviously, using a, a a car engine is a very oversimplified way of looking at the human body in the same way as saying, well, you wouldn't put the wrong fuel in your car. Yeah, it's not helpful, mate. Um, but if you if you address those warning lights, like you said, when they first come on, then you're you're going to prevent that. You're going to prevent the the breakdowns further down the line, whether it is emotionally or physically. Mm. Now. We've obviously, like the, the, the last few minutes we've been talking about kind of practical stuff and, and things that people can do, things that people can maybe tweak about how they interact with themselves, interact with their own body, interact with their, with their feelings and so on and so forth. But to really 
distill it down into some actionable steps because like i said we we could go off for the next couple of hours on this stuff but we're not going to because people don't want to listen to us ranting for that long mail no matter how much we enjoy it um so if people wanted to take away anyone listening to this is feeling like they want to address their uh, their relationship with food, their relationship with physical and, and, and mental well-being, and they want a couple of actionable tips or pieces of advice of just where to start, because it is, like we've said, a minefield and it is confusing. Mm-hmm. Where would you say it would be a good place for people to start? God, it's like, that, that's, a, that's a biggie question. Oh, uh, yeah, I would apologise, but I'm not sorry at all. <laughs> oh, okay. So, I mean, if it's... This word of control keeps coming up. Yeah. And I think if if there is a sense of you're feeling like your body or your food is getting out of control and you're thinking the first thing I need to do is I need to control this more. Yeah. Is do the opposite. Okay. It's it's step back. It's yeah. literally step back, sit in the shit for a while yeah. and work out what it is that you're really kind of, what are you worried about from happening, you know, do the whole worst case scenario thing, get it out and write it down in terms yeah. of what are you worried about in terms of what you feel your habits and behaviours are going to lead to right yeah. now. Because I imagine in there, food won't be the be all and end all of it. It yeah. may well be that you're trying to do too much, that you're not sleeping right, you haven't got a sleep routine or you've got no sleep hygiene at all. Um, it may well be that you haven't got effective coping strategies and that actually you're just feeling really overwhelmed. And I think one of the things that I always say to people is, is don't compare yourself to what other people are doing, whether that's how they look, particularly when it comes to complete strangers or looking at other people's show reels in life in terms of what they're showing on se- on social media, what they're eating, how many times they've been to the gym that week. Yeah. Like literally get yourself away from anything which triggers you to think that I'm not doing enough. I'm not being, I'm not good enough as I am now. Yeah. Move yourself away from that and really spend a bit of time thinking about what you want in your life. And I'd then say, go and get some help. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is something which is, is underappreciated a lot of the time is getting some support from someone who understands this stuff and, um, it can help you be more objective about things because people can give you when, when you're in it it's really hard to mm. to see isn't it and yet someone on the outside um, a coach or a therapist or whoever can help you through through questioning and it can help you understand where you're where you currently are and um, give you kind of some 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 strategies and activities which can which can give you a first few steps and because it is such a personal thing it is it's that's why that's such a big question isn't it is because you can give you can give a general thing there about kind of releasing some control but when it comes to actual first steps it is going to be very very different from person to person yeah. isn't it it is absolutely and i think you know the very sort of the the very basic approach for that is just pick one thing yeah. do one thing in terms of what is it that you want to change and pick on one thing and do that but when it comes to getting that help in terms of if you genuinely want to stop being all consumed by food and doubting yourself and you've got this little shitty voice on your shoulder that keeps telling you that you're pants then that I think would lend itself to going getting some some help to go and trying to deal with that because it's totally doable yeah you can get rid of all that crap yeah awesome so 
if people were listening to this and wanted to check out more of what you do um, on social media or online or anything like that, where's the best place to find you? Um, so, yeah, I live on social media. So I am, as me, Mel Wakeman, on, on Facebook and on Instagram. Yep. Uh, and just to say, I am a registered nutritionist. I am. I was a, a senior lecturer in nutrition and applied physiology before I ventured down the, the um, self-employment route. So yep. I do have a lot of sort of credible credible background and I've written loads of stuff. So if you find me on Instagram, you'll see me. Um, it's just my my mug face in in the middle as it were and then my website is wakemannutrition.com and that's where i've got details i've got all my blog pages there and lots of articles that you can download for free awesome yeah so i think it's it's one of those things where it's good to know in a in an arena where there are charlatans and cowboys that uh, that some people still know their stuff um so no that's absolutely awesome and what i will do as well is i'll put the links to your instagram and your facebook and your website i'll put those in the uh in the description for this episode so if you're listening to this on anchor or you are listening to it on spotify then those should be clickable or tappable links which will take you out to find mel's um presence online if you're listening on apple those links won't work and still don't ask me why i have no idea um so Mel, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. I've really, really enjoyed this. I've learned a lot. I've had my uh, my viewpoint challenged on more than one occasion, which I love doing. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it as well. I've had a great time. It's been brilliant, honestly. Thank you very much for having me on. No worries. We'll chat soon. Cheers, Jay. Thank you for listening to Fit Body, Fit Mind with me, Jay Unwin. If you aren't already connected with me on LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook, then you can find all the links in the podcast description or on my website at fitbodyfitmind.online. Until next time, stay fit, stay well and have fun.